The Glory Center would like to welcome you to this podcast. We hope that this teaching will encourage and minister to you. And now, the message. I'm going to st- teach today and, and presumably for, for just, you know, a little bit, uh, perhaps a few weeks, several weeks, we'll see, um, on what I'm calling victory, our inheritance. Victory, our inheritance. One thing, you know, thinking about this, and I think this will be, this is going to be very, like, foundational. Kind of, some of it will seem maybe kind of basic in some ways, but I think it's very foundational, but you know the foundation affects everything going forward, you know, so you don't really get away from certain foundational truths. Um, that being said, I'm going to uh, start here in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. And one thing uh, to, that you figured out in light of this is that, you know, the Lord in Scripture, in His dealings with mankind, obviously, you know, doesn't promise anyone a life free of problems, right? Um doesn't take too long to figure that one out. But he does promise us victory. So you can be in the battle. You know, Paul said the, in, later on in 2 Corinthians, he said the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Right? So there is a warfare. But the warfare isn't us conquering Satan. It's, uh, it's kind of like the thought of an occupying military, an occupying army. Right? Victory has been accomplished. Okay? Kind of like David. You think about David and Goliath. David was one man, but his victory over Goliath was for all of Israel. You know, uh, Goliath, for I forget how, 40 days, you know, out there basically defying and cursing and slandering Israel and the God of Israel and uh, mocking them and all this. And then David. We we know the verse. We know it's so so incredible. Uh, I just love how with a a defiance rose up in him, you know. And he said, "Who is this uncirc you know non covenant person, uncircumcised Philistine that he would dare defy the armies of the living God?" Whew. I mean, he it wasn't like, well, I hope. Let's see what happens, you know. And, there, and there's so many beautiful things in there. You know, the name David means beloved. And, and of course, Jesus is in Scripture many places referred to as the son of Abraham and the son of David, right? Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And that goes back to 2 Samuel where God promised David that he would have a son, his seed would have a throne and an everlasting kingdom. That would never come to an end. And obviously that's all fulfilled in Jesus. You know, and David had his stones. His five stones. And there's, I think there's so many things in that. Uh, five is the biblical number for grace. And Jesus, of course, is the, the stone that the builders rejected. The chief cornerstone. And so our beloved took down... The, the giant that was Satan and sin and all that that entails on our behalf, right? 
and so so many beautiful things. But but I love how because we don't want to think that the Lord and Satan are are um, equal opponents or even anything close to that, right? We we want to fully understand uh, who and what Satan is. You know, I I for years or, or what seemed like for years for some time years ago, I I used to think and say and teach the Bible college students that, you know, kind of those those utterly most important foundational things is, number one, who is Jesus Christ? I think for every human ever, that's the big question. That's who is the real God? Well, it's him. So who is this, you know, Jesus of Nazareth? And then the other thing is, who am I apart from him? And then with him, in him, because of him. You know, I'm sinful outside of him, but I'm a new creation in him. And then I think the other very important issue is who is our enemy and what's his status? And Jesus actually, I used to say that, and then I realized that's that's scriptural. In John 16, when Jesus said, the spirit of truth, the comforter, will come, and he will convict or convince of three things. Number one, Jesus said he will convince the world, the unbelieving community, of the singular sin, Jesus said, not of all your sins. He did not say, Holy Spirit convicts you of every single sin, thought, word, and deed. Every time, you, even Brother Hagen taught that that's not biblical. But there you go. Um, but he will convince the world of the singular sin of unbelief, Jesus said, because they do not believe in me. And then he said, he will convict you of righteousness, <sighs> who you are in Christ. So when you feel bad, that's not Holy Spirit beating you up. Whenever you feel down in the dumps and want to give up, but somehow something in you tells you, take that next step. Just want, just some, that something in you that won't give up. That's the Holy Spirit. He's not the one beating you over the head with the club. And then he said that he will also convict of judgment. And then Jesus said, because the prince of this world is judged. So he Holy Spirit shows us who Jesus is, who we are in him, and what's happened to our enemy. That's all in John 16. And so, um, let, let me read this verse here, though. Check this out. This is just wonderfully, wonderfully incredible. Hey, at some point, um, I'd like to, if we can, I don't know, Dan, Orla, some, somebody, um, if we could possibly, and Dan, you set this up, I don't know if it's whatever, if we could look at moving the projector back, because we have to fight all the time with making it bigger on the thing, but if it was back further, I think it, it would just automatically, the stuff would be bigger, right? It's above my pay grade, but I'm, I think that's what my boss told me. She's in there, ask her. But I'm pretty sure if we move that back, it'll, you know, because I'm standing right here and that's fairly Can I get an amen? Yeah? Okay. You can read it? Or Orla's, well, what was Moses? His eyes were not dimmed and his strength was not abated. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? I have, I've always had, uh, I feel you, Cindy. Whew, I'm about to shed this thing, man. The heat's not on, I don't think, is it? Huh? What? I'm dead. It's just you. Always cold, huh? Cold blood. There you go inside. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I saw a funny thing on YouTube or something one time. It, it said it, it was the name of it. 
was uh, women's winter. And it was summer, but they were all working at this office and all their little cubicles and, and all the ladies have, it's summer, but the airs, so all, they had hoodies, they had scarves, they had, and then this one girl walks in and all the other women are like, because <gasps> she didn't have her coat and her scarf and her hoodie and her blanket and, and, you know, she was freezing from the air conditioning and all of that. But anyways, Orla has good eyesight. Praise God. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I have great, I've always had 20-20 uh, eyesight, but I see little, uh, little dot-looking things. Yeah, always. I don't always notice them because um, it's always there. Anybody else don't see little floaty things? Oh, yeah, I've always had. As far as I remember, I've always noticed Aren't you phantom? <laughs> uh, I'm going to read this verse here. It says, possibly, is this, what chapter did I say? 2.14. Well, yeah, thank God. That's right. That's what it says. But thanks. Is that, were you reading it? Is that? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, so check this out. But thanks be to God who always, and different translations say it, you know, slightly different, but causes us, leads us, you know, either way. Thanks be unto God who always, somebody say always, always causes us to or leads us in triumph. So I, I want to say there's some translations that say always leads us to victory, something like that, but triumph, victory. Thanks be unto God who always leads us in triumph, in victory, in Christ, hallelujah, and manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. And so much of 2 Corinthians is Paul laying out his constant opposition coming against him. If you get over to chapters 10 and 11, there were false apostles who were trying to move in and you know, take over Paul's work and pervert the gospel and um, all this kind of stuff. And basically, you get to like chapter 11, and Paul compares his uh, resume with these, what he calls these false apostles. And Paul says that his resume for being a true sent one, an apostle, was shipwrecked, beatings often, starving and naked often, stoned and left for dead many times. You know, just he kind of goes through all of these horrific things. And like I mentioned at the beginning, God does not promise us a life free of problems, but he does promise us victory in Jesus. And it's, it's very important to realize that our victory in Jesus is already accomplished. That's what we call the finished work, right? So Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He did not say it, it's, it started, now you go finish it. So Jesus, it's so important, has already given us victory in him and through his finished work. Hallelujah. Can you dig it? So we have victory. So, you know, we start at the finishing line because the race has been won. Jesus has won it. Jesus has received the spoils of you know, of war, the, vic the victory, and he's given it to us as our 
inheritance. Now, there's a verse in Romans chapter 8 that says we are heirs of God. And he goes on to say joint heirs with Christ. So, see, Jesus' scripture tells us in many places in a few different ways. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, many brethren, right? You know that? So he's the firstborn of many, and obviously that goes back to the Jewish concept, uh, the Middle Eastern concept of the firstborn, right? The ancient Near East, the, the firstborn who receives uh, the blessing, the inheritance. And so the good news, though, is that we are full partakers of his inheritance because it's our inheritance. He's given it to us. We get to share in it with him. John says it this way in 1 John uh, chapter 4. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. <sighs> Isn't that awesome? In this world. So, as Jesus is, so are... Not as Jesus is, try your hardest to be like him. That's not what it says. As he is, so are you in this world. The, the Who we are in Christ is not becoming something... You know, growth in Jesus, growth in Christ, is not becoming something that you're not already, but it's being transformed into the image of God that's already in you. That's why Paul in 2 Corinthians says, it's as it, when the veil of the law is removed, Paul says, in chapter 3, he says, it's as looking in a mirror. What do you see when you look in a mirror? Something scary? No, hopefully not. What do you, you see? Your, your reflection, right? And he says, the reflection we behold is the glory of the Lord. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Jesus is the only thing, if you will, who has the right to define and identify us, right? In Jesus, 2 Corinthians also says, chapter 5, old things have passed away i got to do my Norville kick. Woo! That's, that's a Norville. For, sorry to be so loud there, but Norville was, when he'd get excited, boy, that's, that's about his go-to there. Just a, woo! A big old kick, you know. So I, I would encourage all of you, please. I, Ryan Knox and I were talking this week, and he asked me, he said, I'm talking to someone, and they want to learn about, like, faith and word of faith and how to claim what belongs to us and walk in the, you know, and all that. And he said, what would you recommend? And he said, he said something about, you know, I want to overwhelm them. I want to, you know, blast them, you know, kind of whatever. I guess they were not everybody's ready for that. You know, yeah. And I said, well, if you want a good introduction, I, I would do like Brother Hagen's ABCs of Faith. I said, but if you want to blast them, send them something by Norval. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll check it out. He said, I've actually never listened to him, which made my heart sink a little. I love you, Ryan. But. I've encouraged you guys, please, for the love of God, listen to Norval Hayes at some point in your life. Please. Please. Yes, I love Joseph Prince, and I listen. I love Andrew, and I listen to him. I love Bill and Chris. I listen to him. Just trust me and go home and YouTube Norval for 30 minutes and get your mind blasted with victory like you've probably never heard it before. Okay? Plug over. There we go. I tried. Now, um, I don't have any idea what I was, where I was before my normal kick. Anybody? Jesus. 
Jesus identifies us. Boom. There we go. And it's important, you know, it's like this, and we don't want to nitpick every little thing, and, you know, I understand that. But this is a a good example, I think. Um, I'm perfectly fine if someone says, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And that's true. We're all, but, but then there's the other idea where it's, well, no, I'm not a sinner. I used to be a sinner, but I've been saved by the grace of God, and now I'm a new creation, the righteousness of God in Christ. So we get the, you know, the overarching idea there. But that's true, because Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, all things, those old things, that old creation, have passed away. Passed away is funeral, death language. Oh, they passed. So-and-so's passed away. Who we were in Adam is dead and gone. Fair enough? And here's one of the big problems I think any Christian ever has to work through and, and confront and learn about and, and all that. We tend to believe who we were in Adam more than we believe who we are in Christ. Right? So, Brother Hagen, and he got a lot of good stuff from a guy named E.W. Kenyon. Anybody ever heard of E.W. Kenyon? Oh, man, such good stuff. I can't, I can't even hardly read uh, E.W. Kenyon because every paragraph has me jumping out of my skin with glory and excitement. He's too good. It's just, if you can handle him, get some E.W. Kenyon books. We've had some here before. Um, I don't think we have any right now. But anyways... We, we, have, we tend to believe that we're still in Adam in some sense when we're most emphatically not. I wish I could say it better, <laughs> but that's not who we are, all right? So our Adamic inheritance, which was sin and death, is gone. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, and it's said in many places in, in many different ways in Scripture, But Jesus said it so beautifully that whoever believes in him has passed from death into life. (sighs) And that's why Paul Paul would not call it death for the believer. Sleep. You're going to put that body off, but you've already left the realm of death. Now you're in the realm of life in Christ. Romans 5 says, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life in the realm of Zoe, God's quality of life, right? And so that's what belongs to us. And, you know, as I was thinking and praying this week about some of these truths, uh, I'm not going to turn there, but in the book of Exodus, after the, the Ten Commandments, and you know, is given and, and the covenant is made with Yahweh, Moses literally draws a line in the sand and says, whoever's with me and God and believes me, more or less, on this side, and whoever, whoever isn't, over there. And that's when on the day, that was the first Pentecost, and 3,000 people were killed that day. Because Moses told the priests, get your swords, more or less strap them to you and run through them. I mean, that's not a church service I would have wanted to attend, let me tell you. But in the New Covenant, see, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, the law, specifically the Ten Commandments, brings death and condemnation. He said, but the new covenant, the ministry of the Spirit, the ministry of righteousness, gives life. And that's God's life. That's what we call eternal life, right? The new birth. Um, But on the day of Pentecost, in the new covenant, 3,000 people were born again, right? 
So we definitely have a new and better covenant. But, that, but I'm, what I want us to do today, you know, in this, in our hearts, is kind of do what Brother Mo did, and let's just draw a line in the sand. And may we say to Satan, El Diablo, the accuser, this day, who are you, you defeated rat, to even dare defy us, the sons and daughters of the living God? Amen? And let's contend, not in works, not in legalism, but the only fight we're called to engage in, the good fight of faith. <sighs> Hallelujah. And faith is always based on who Jesus is. I don't know, you know, for me, if I can, better way to say it, but who he is in me, who I am in him. We are not in Adam. We are not apart from Christ. We're not half sinner, half saint. We are a new creation. Romans chapter 6, Paul said the old man, talking about that sin, Adamic death that was in us, in humanity, he said the old man is dead and it died with Christ. <sighs> That's good stuff. Um, I'm going to read this verse again, then we're going to look somewhere else, just, just so it's in our mind here. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. All right, now let's turn to 1 John uh, chapter 5. 1 John 5. Some, some, some people have referred to these things we're touching on. Uh, Brother Hagan and, and others have called these in Christ realities. You know, who you are in Christ. And I say it a lot, and I hope it resonates. Who we are in Jesus and in Christianity and, and this whole thing we're doing in life, as it were. It's not, I went to church on Sunday, I got pumped up, lifted me up. I mean, if you're lucky, you go to church and get lifted up and not beaten down, you know, hallelujah. <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, you go there and, boy, I got my, my spiritual steroid. I can make it through another week. And hopefully I can drag back in there on Sunday and, you know, if, you know and it, it's because the... the the idea here is like, well, I go to church, I get lifted up, but then I go back to reality. And what I'm communicating is, no, Jesus is reality. He is reality, right? Who we are in Him is the most fundamental truth about us. There is no other truth about us. And there's so many rabbit trails I'm going to try to hope, maybe not go down, but this gets into a lot of issues, and, and I've had the, I don't know what to call it, the fortunate misfortune, you know, of, you know, I've said for years, I don't make a good charismatic, because I don't mindlessly jump in all the charismatic calisthenics just for the fun of it. I'm first in line to hang from the chandeliers and roll on the floor and drink, take a bath in anointing oil and gold dust and you name it. But I don't, I don't like to, Paul actually addressed um, that there, it is possible for us to, he said it as one beating the air, shadow boxing, wasting and exerting all your energy. And you actually exert more energy when you swing and don't connect. 
then when you hit when we when you hit something and connect, you use more, you wear yourself out more, you know. So that being said, there are things that I kind of soapbox every now and then. And for me, one of the big ones, because I've seen it do so much damage to so many precious people, is this unbiblical doctrine of generational curses. Now, I can't help that some great charismatics preach it. I can't help that there's best-selling books on it. I can only go to what Scripture says. And there's not a single person in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Revelation, anywhere else, not one single verse, not a half a hint of Jesus or Paul ever telling anyone, I break that generational curse off of you, or you go home and jump through all these hoops. I denounce my grandfather's sin. I denounce my great-grandfather's sin. I denounce masonry. I denounce... There's nothing in the Bible about that. And I just can't help that. But I, I do my best, and I'm, I'm as fallible as the next man, but I try to, you know, stick to Scripture. And, you know, a person can engage in some of in those things, and in the process, they're renewing their own mind. But that's what's happening. You're renewing your mind to who you are. You're not breaking some invisible, mystical curse that Satan has some right because your great-great-grandfather, you know, owned a bar. So now you've got this anger problem, and it's been there forever. And am I getting anywhere today? Forgive my sarcastic tone. I'm I, sorry, but I, I have. I've seen that hurt so many people, and it's uh, there's no there's no point for it. There's no Bible for it, you know. So, but but what does that matter when you can have these fun doctrines and jump through hoops and spit and clamor and break off and renounce and. Ah, I, it's too bad poor old Jesus didn't take care of all that for us. That's a shame. Old Jesus couldn't break the power of the devil. So we Now, we enforce that victory, and I believe in casting out demons. I've seen crazy demonic manifestations and uh, that kind of stuff. But I don't want to do it just to be a fun charismatic. I'd rather just do it if it's real and legit, and then, you know what I'm saying? All right, uh, 1 John here, chapter 5. Check this out. Oh, so good. 1 John 5, verse 4 says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's better than Campbell's soup. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. See, I'm teaching on victory, our inheritance. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our belief in Jesus. Next verse. Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we have victory because our faith is in Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, in this verse here, the words overcome in verse 4 and 5, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Um, and the word victory, it's the same Greek word. And it's, it's the word Nike. That's where the word Nike actually comes from. Nike, but it's where the word Nike comes from. And it literally just means to conquer. All right? Whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the conquering, the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, who is the one who conquers the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. 
conquer, man. I like that. That's not just, you, you know, it's the it's the 12th round. There's three seconds left. You're both, you know, like Rocky and Drago. Remember the Rocky Four? <sighs> Anybody like Rocky Four? Daniel? Thank you. Linda? Yeah. You've seen, you like Rocky Four? Yeah, that. If you can watch that, and I knew it, but this this sets it in stone. <laughs> um, if you can watch Rocky IV and not want to take over the world, you need to check your pulse, baby, because you dead or hanging on by a joke. I can't even watch the new Rocky movies. I haven't. Like when they started coming out ten years ago, there was there were so many of the newer ones. I did see one of them. I don't know. I don't even know which one it was. Probably the first new one, because he goes to visit. Maybe I don't even remember. That's how that's how disappointed I was. He goes to visit uh, Adrian's gravesite. Is that whichever one years ago? The one I'm maybe he does it in multiple of them. The first new one. I don't know. I don't know if it was Creed or just yeah Balboa. Maybe that was it. Yeah, I just. I mean, he's he's like 103. God bless you, Sly. And he's a believer. But anyways, well, that went over big. All right, conquered it all, baby. That's right. <laughs> Now, check this out. I think this is very important for us to, like, think about, you know. Uh, you know, you, you know, an inheritance, a last will and testament, you know. We receive a, a person, in, you know, you receive an inheritance when someone else dies, right? Not when you die. Because we think a lot about, I'm going to die, I'm going to go to heaven, which is... I highly recommend, and I'm all for all of that. But we re- we've already received an inheritance. Ephesians 1 says in verse 3 that we've been raised up, we've been seated in the heavenly places, and blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. So we've already received this full inheritance, this full blessing in Jesus and if you want to get a good idea of what blessing and cursing is in a biblical mentality and understanding, just read Deuteronomy 28. And he, he goes through a very practical here and now, in this life, you know, blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the field, blessed in the city. I mean, he just goes through the whole gamut, you know, um, of what this blessing is. Um, so it, it is important for us to understand that we have received an inheritance. And in this teaching, I'm simply calling that inheritance victory, right? So with that in mind, I want you to, if you're still in 1 John, just jump, jump back to chapter 3. And I want to start looking at some specifics of what Jesus has conquered on our behalf and provided for us. And I don't know exactly how far we'll get with these, but um, we shall see. And in developing this, you know, I think it's important to to consider God's purpose, what his purpose has always been for mankind. And, you know, we can see that in Genesis chapter 1, where the Lord says, verse 26, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And then he says, and let us give them authority or dominion. Over And then he goes through the cattle, the fish, over every creeping thing. You know, he just kind of goes through the whole gamut there. And so, and he says that he blessed man and said, subdue the earth, 
be fruitful, multiply. So from the very beginning, God's intention for man was blessing, right? In the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the one word for that is shalom. That's the all-encompassing blessing. It varies. No Jew, no Jewish understanding person, you know, whatever, would ever say the blessing is just you get to go to heaven one day. Judaism, for the most part, doesn't believe in any kind of an afterlife anyways, right? So they understand the blessing of God is for the here and now. Actually, in Deuteronomy, the Lord goes on to say that if people follow him, you, you will have, and this is what the Lord said, days of heaven on earth. And now Jesus prayed that, and that's what Jesus brought to us. Father, your will be done on earth. Oh, I can't wait to get to heaven because peace and health, and, and, and I agree with that. But the Lord wants us to have now because our inheritance is we received is not when we die, but when he died. So we've received the inheritance. Amen? And so the Lord wants us, as Jesus prayed, that your will be done, Lord, Father, on earth. In, not just in the sweet by and by, but in the bitter here and now. Right? Days of heaven on earth. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, 1 John 3, um, looking at some of these things. Starting in verse 5, and this is simple, but, or it's foundational. 1 John 3, verse 5, says this, You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. And when I read that verse, I, I instinctively think to myself, did he succeed? He appeared in order that he may take away sin. Well, thank God he did. Amen? Sin, far too much preaching makes it sound like sin is still the biggest thing. Far too much preaching preaches the Christian more than the Christ, and what He's done for us. It's supposed to be the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, not the bad news of how messed up you are. We know that. Most of us. So, if He appeared to take away sin, then that, okay, then let's... Did He do it or not? Right? So... Did he settle the sin issue or not? Well, thank God he did. Now, you got to think, this, man, this restructures like everything. Because I, I came through a religious system that had so much good, of course, but, but I, I would say most of us can resonate with this, where Christianity was sort of reduced to a behavior and sin management program. There, it was never, I, I didn't, I mean, it was all four steps, four steps to this, and then next week, three steps to that, and then the next week, five steps to this, and it's always me and my works, 
And I can't even do the three steps from this week yet because I haven't done the four steps from last week. I don't even remember what all of them were, but I got more rules, more things put on me this week. And yet Jesus said, talking to religiously devout people, come unto me, all of you who are laboring, carrying a heavy load. What was the Jewish heavy load? The law system, the system of works righteousness. And he said, come unto me and I will give you more rules, more works. No, rest. And that is a church cuss word. Rest. He said, my yoke is easy. Another church cuss word. And my burden is light. Jesus said, Jesus said, not some 35-year-old goofy preacher in Portage, Michigan. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. Oh, brother, we got to get back to that hard way. No, I'm good. I've, I've done the hard way. It about killed me. Beat my head up against a wall trying to please a God that I didn't know was already pleased with me because of his son. Amen. I want that hard. Some of you came up under Pentecost, and you know what I'm, or, or some Southern Baptists. Jim, I don't know if in, the, in, the, in your dad's tradition, did they do the, the preaching? The hellfire, jumping, stomping, sweating. Ha! Or did they just condemn you in a more, which I'm all for, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was like Jonathan Edwards in his fame. And Jonathan Edwards shouldn't be known just for this because he basked in the grace of God. But we all know his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. It's interesting that that's the most famous sermon preached on American soil. And today, that's still the prevalent mentality. God's angry at America. God's angry. God's going to get you. We're, and, and Edwards, his example was God is dangling you like a spider over the flames of hell. Hallelujah. Oh, that's good. For God so hated the America that he sent his only son to condemn every last one of you. You know. But so this, this restructures like everything, man. If the sin issue is resolved, it's not... It's like we treat salvation like it's probation. This is my trial period. I'm on parole. I'm going to see if I can keep enough of the rules to finally sneak in the, the back entrance of heaven. You know, if, if maybe there's the great judgment seat and I can sneak in the back just in, in the Lord. You know, some, you know, we just like the, it's, it's as if God doesn't want to populate heaven. Like he's throwing people into hell. And the biggest smile on his face, just having a good old time. You know, like the way we approach these things. And so, if Jesus did that, then there is nothing between us and God. That's why Hebrews tells us. Hebrews chapter 4. He says this, the author says, all things are laid open and bare before him with whom we have to do. And that's usually where you stop and threaten people. You can fool your spouse. You can fool your pastor. But you can't fool God. But he goes on to say, all things are open and bare with whom we have to do. Next verse. Therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and 
grace to help in your time of need. And then later on in Hebrews, he tells us, chapter 9, chapter 10, he touches on it in different ways. He says, let our heart be sprinkled, the blood of Jesus, from an evil conscience, and let us draw near with a heart of full assurance. Right? John even says, and also in, uh, here and later on in this chapter, 1 John 3, he says, even if your own heart condemns you, thank God, God is greater than your heart. Because there is therefore now, Romans 8, 1, every time you read that verse, there's therefore now. Now. So on my best day, on my worst day, at any moment, I'm never going to turn to Romans 8 and it's going to change its opinion to fit my feelings and my situation circumstantial theology. No, it's always going to say there's therefore now no damnatory sentence, guilty verdict, condemnation to anyone in Christ Jesus. Next verse, because the law of the spirit of life, the new birth in Christ Jesus, hath, past tense, made you free from the law of sin and death. Sin, death, Satan is not Lord and Master anymore. Amen? And we have the, the, the right, by God's grace, to enforce victory, you know, in our own lives. And any and all of us, you know, can partake in that. Uh, I, I say, what I mean is, as an individual, as a family, as a community, as a nation, people can receive as, as much of God's goodness. God wants earth to look like heaven. You know, the, the idea in God's mind, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Not He created heaven and created this vast chasm and earth's way out there and heaven's up there three miles south of Mars somewhere. And No, He created it as a functional unit working together. And again, that's back to Jesus' prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Jacob saw the ladder. Man, there's a, connect, a connecting point between heaven and earth. And Jesus is the final connecting point between heaven and earth. Jesus said that his body, in, you know, in talking and his trial and the crucifixion, come out, I'll tear this down and raise it up in three days. But he was, he was referring to himself as the temple, right? And so his body, which housed the very glory of, of God, does this make sense? The Ark, the Ark of the Covenant was many things, but in part it was a type and shadow of Jesus, the true Ark housing the, tr the true temple, the true glory of God, right? And so when the veil was torn, uh, I don't know, basically simultaneous, congruous, you know, with Jesus, the true temple, the glory of God, was let out the box, baby, and poured out on Acts chapter 2, his, quoting from Joel, Peter preaching, his spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. Right? So, there's a lot in that, but uh, thank God for that. And, and I know I'm belaboring this point, but, and I know we preach this often. This, this, this is foundational to everything we're about, but, but I think it's, uh, it's worth it. So, one more time. You know, and I'm thinking like, I don't know, John. Do we know? You know that he appeared in order to take 
away sins. Oh. You know, we literally do not have the right. You know, a police officer is authorized by a higher force, right? You know, the state, the name, whatever. So, but he's been, authority has been bestowed upon, you know, for example, a police officer. Well, the Lord has bestowed his authority upon his people. We are authorized. Amen. And part of the word righteousness very clearly implies you have certain rights and privileges, right? And so we do not have the right because 2 Corinthians 5 says we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador does not bring their own message. They're authorized by a higher power to bring their message, their king, if you will, their king's message, right? So it's amazing what the church is most known for all too often, imputing sin, is one of the primary foundational things that Scripture tells us we don't have the right to do. We are not authorized to impute sin against anyone. How can I impute a sin against someone that Jesus already took that sin away for? Now, sin carries its own punishment, obviously. Numbers 32 verse 23 says your own sin will find you out. It does not say when you sin, God's going to get you. God can't get you for a sin he already died and took away. God can't impute a sin against you that's already been taken away. It doesn't make sense. It's called the law of double jeopardy. You, you, you familiar with double jeopardy? You can't be tried again for something you've already been tried for and did, did the crime, did the time. You can't, oh man, I got out of prison today after 10 years. I'm feeling so good. Where are you going? I got to go back to court and go back to trial for it. Well, that, that's absurd. You already did, did the crime, did the time. Well, Jesus did the time on behalf of our crime. And so the books are cleared. And that's good stuff. Am I getting anywhere today? Now, um, I want to look at a few more things as we wrap up here. Very foundational, very familiar, but uh, check this out. John chapter 1. Uh, we're in First John, but John, Gospel of John, chapter 1. So we're going to deal with several things. You know, we're going to deal with what Jesus has done about sin, what he's done about sickness and disease and infirmity, what he's done about the curse of poverty and lack, what he's done about Satan and his works. You know, we're going to look at several of these issues because this is our inheritance. John chapter 1, verse 29. Says, the next day, John the Baptist, he, John, saw Jesus coming to him and said, and this should really be our message, the, the church, the church proper. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, you know, this makes me think of the Day of Atonement, the scapegoat, you know. And so here is John, whose name means grace or, or Yahweh. God is grace. So here is grace. This is what the message of grace, the gospel, is always telling people. Look at the Lamb of God. Quit looking at your sin. Because if we see our sin for what it really is, and I'm using, you understand what I'm, I don't mean in the most literal sense, but you understand what I'm saying. If we see our sin, because he says, behold the lamb. So we can behold our sin, or we can behold the lamb who did something about our sin, right? And so if we, if we could, uh, I don't know how to say it, not personify, but you know what I'm saying. If I could look at my sin for what it really is, 
it would basically be a tomb and a, and a coffin, whatever, a grave site. Why? Because Jesus died our sin away. Sin is not the dominant force. Righteousness is the dominant force. God's grace is the dominant force. Sin is no longer the shark in the water that we're stranded out at sea and scared to death of. God's grace, we're drowning in an ocean, if you will, of God's grace. Are you out there? A sea of mercy, you know. Uh, the prophet Micah said that he takes our sins, and what's he do with them? Cast them to the depths of the sea, and they are gone, right? And so sin is gone. So John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the cosmos. So the books are cleared. Sin's been dealt with. Our job is to let people know your sin has been taken away. And there is a God who loves you. Loves you so much, He's already, whether you know it or not, He's already taken care of everything that once stood between you and Him. It's gone. So it's not get your act together and then, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and work really hard and then maybe God will get in the notion of loving you and letting you eke your way into heaven. It's He's already done everything absolutely possible. Can you just hold out your hand and say, yeah, I'll take that. And that's what Paul says is the ministry of reconciliation. Letting the world know your sin's gone. You've been reconciled. Will you receive and accept a God who's already received and accepted you and embraced you? All right. Uh, let me, let's do one more verse here. 1 Corinthians, and we'll be finished there. 1 Corinthians 15. It is, it is too easy sometimes, and I think I thought this at one time, and I've heard this said, that forgiveness of sins is sort of the, the cute little ABCs. Yeah, you learn that on day one, but then you got to move on. Unfortunately, what we usually move on to is, now that I've been saved, how can I do enough good to keep myself saved? Well, that's not good news. That's not a gospel. If I have to do something to keep my, you know, it's not good news. Because what's the, you know, the old cliche, the old saying, uh, uh, chain's only as strong as its weakest link. You know, and we're always the weak link in this equation. If it were up to us, and you know what I'm saying. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the good news which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. That's very interesting. He says, Paul said, I declared the good news. So good news means something that's already happened, right? And this particular something that already happened is good and beneficial for us. He says, that's also the, the thing in which you stand. And that's very important because we are taught very often you start in grace, but you move on and mature into works. And that's not biblical at all. Paul said in Galatians 1.6, I declare a curse over anyone who presents, and I'm paraphrasing a little, but you know the verses, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. He said, whether I do it, whether someone else does it, whether an angel from heaven preaches any other so-called gospel except the one of grace, Paul said, let him be accursed. Because the Galatian congregation, if you will, 
were duped into mainstream evangelicalism, which is, yeah, you start by grace, that's good, that's cute, but you got to move on to works and holiness, and as if you leave grace behind and do the rest of it on your own. Jesus started to save you, but you're the one who has to finish saving you. It's that whole mentality. And it's absurd. Thank God. Moving on, verse 2. He says, this gospel that you stand in and by which you also are saved, not you used to be and hopefully you will be if you, no, you are saved. If you hold fast to the word which I preach to you, so believe the gospel and hold on to it, unless you believed in vain. In other words, was it a true conversion, a true belief? Now, verse 3, he says this, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul says, of first importance. Now, now this, this isn't an evangelistic message. These are believers. They're already saved. And we know how, we, I, I use them as an example because they're the best example. We know how carnal and fleshly and jacked up and immoral and ungodly their behavior was. But what's Paul do here? And all through 1 Corinthians? The Lord, Brother Hagin has a story I heard him tell. And I am closing. He was reading 1 Corinthians chapters, and he got through chapters 1 through 3. And he said as he was reading, the Lord started talking to him. And he said that the Lord told Brother Hagin, he said, now if you were writing that letter, you would have said to them, you need to repent and get right, you bunch of backslidden buzzards. Now that's what the Lord told Brother Hagin that he would have said. And Brother Hagin said, and I would have. He said, but the Lord teaching, he said, but you notice he didn't do that? He said, Paul started reminding them of who they were, their true identity, which was, it's in 1 Corinthians many times, what? Know you not? Don't you know? Their ignorance was their, they didn't know who they were. Don't you know? You are the temple of Holy Spirit. They, didn't, they had an identity crisis. They didn't know who they were in Christ. And so, Paul gets near the end of the letter here, and he, he never switches gears. He even says in 1 Corinthians 15, Awake to righteousness, your right standing with God, and sin not. Sin doesn't have dominion over, sin has dominion over believers when we don't know in some level, in some area, on some degree, and this is all of us, it's a lifetime process, who we are in Christ. And sin doesn't just mean bad behavior. Sin, hamartia in Greek, we all know, missed the mark. Right? Well, it's... It's missing the mark. This isn't a condemning sentence, so don't anyone take it this way. It's missing the mark. I'll use me. Seven years of severe, hellish, chronic, awful nervous system jacking up back problems. Well, that's a missing of God's mark for me because the Lord already took care of sickness, disease, pain, and infirmity. Am I, does this make sense? So the Lord wants me healed. As far as He's concerned, He's already healed me. So my responsibility, which is, what's the word responsibility? Responding to ability. I'm responding to his ability. How? Renewing your mind. And faith is always in the heart 
and the mouth. It's not, it's not, too, charismatics have just gotten too far away from confessing and speaking God's word. It's, it's easier, it depends on, you know, it depends on your background maybe, but I mean, it's easier to get a person to, to pray for eight hours than to confess the word for 15 minutes. I'm telling you, right? And we want to, it's good to pray. Hello. It's also good to do what Scripture repeatedly exhorts. You know, in Joshua chapter 1, the Lord told Joshua, meditate in my law day and night. That word meditate is the Hebrew word to mutter or speak quietly to oneself. Confess the word. You know, it's a scientific fact when you think something versus when you say that thought out loud, your brain, because your brain has neuroplasticity, you can literally rewire your brain, you know. And that's what renewing your mind is, you know. And so your brain literally responds differently when you say something as opposed to just thinking it. You know, that's pretty cool. It's kind of like writing versus typing. Your brain responds differently. A lot of people prefer to write, you know, a sermon, or it could be a poem, a song, a book, whatever, a letter. Your brain literally responds differently when you write as opposed to typing. And I think writing opens up more creative processes and that type of stuff as opposed to just typing. But anyways, I'm trying to close here. So moral of the story, the Lamb of God appeared and took away our sin. And so we are forgiven. There, there will never come a time where you or anyone you ever meet, you'll never meet someone that God is holding their sin against them. It's not possible. There is no such thing as that. It's absurd. Or Jesus died in vain. There are no two ways around it, right? People don't go to hell if you, if you believe in hell, and I do. And I know there's very different opinions on that and whatever, whatever, you know, if, you know, whatever. But if there is a hell, whatever it is, and if people go there, number one, God doesn't send people to hell. There's no such thing as that, right? Jesus said, Hades, hell, was created for Satan and his following angels. God has never sent anyone to hell. Satan's pulling people in there through de by deceiving them into following him instead of following God. Does that make sense? This is not an angry God who's trying to keep people out of heaven. What could he possibly do more besides becoming one of us, living sinlessly, and die on a cross and come back three days later, what more could he possibly do to take care of sin? I mean, Mike Tyson's best knockout has nothing on what Jesus did to Satan and sin. Ah, here comes Norville. <laughs> Got my Norville kick in today. I'm good. You good? Hallelujah. Woo. Well, I'm finished if you are. The Glory Center would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope that it is encouraged and ministered to you. We also would like to invite you to check out our website at glorycenter.org.